Hi, I'm the Ish Girl, and you're listening to episode 78 of In the Middle of It, the podcast where parents and teachers can find ideas, strategies, and resources for connecting with teens. Hey there, I'm Amy, also known as the Ish Girl, and I am so glad that you're with me today. I'm kind of in a weird place this week as we slide into May and the world looks so different than I ever imagined that it would. And as I've shared before, my son is a senior and you have to believe me when I say that I really did begin picturing May of 2020 years ago, not only for my son, but also this month is the 30th anniversary of my own high school graduation. And I don't know if you're like me, but I used to wonder where I'd be in 10 or 20 or 30 years after that milestone. So all in all, it's just kind of a weird thing. But moving into what I'm talking about today, which absolutely has to do with all the things that are different in this coronavirus affected world right now, um, is that communication between home and school has shifted drastically in the past month and a half or so. It's something we've all experienced with teachers and school districts making um, really heroic efforts, I would say, to get learning back on track while everyone's quarantined. Now, if you're a teacher, just huge kudos to you. I know the shift to teaching online coupled with the new levels of communication that are required from you, that has been so challenging. And if you're a parent like me, you may have scrambled to keep up with the sheer number of emails coming at you. So if you have multiple kids who have multiple teachers, you just have to do the math to get an idea of the communication onslaught. So with my two kids, each having eight teachers, that equals 16 emails, plus all the emails that are coming from the school district regarding event cancellations and other announcements. Throw in the working from home component and it's a lot. And that's coming from me, who has two kids who are truly completely autonomous when it comes to their schoolwork. So if I miss a teacher email here and there, not a big deal because they are on top of their own stuff. So don't get me wrong here, because I love that there's this transition to collaborating, even if it's a little bit under duress, because collaborating isn't a word that I necessarily would have used to describe the relationship between secondary schools and parents until now. So I've been on both sides of that equation and I get it. As a teacher, I often, often dreaded communicating with parents. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. And as a parent, it takes some true intentionality to keep from defaulting to defensiveness when I hear from my kids' teachers, especially in the first few seconds when I don't know why they're reaching out. Now, when we take a hard honest look at that whole school and home dynamic, it is safe to say that there is definitely not an assume the best situation going on there. In fact, I think it's easy to see that many, if not most, school and home dynamics are characterized by walls built on both sides. And it makes sense. Both sides have some degree of mistrust that's probably valid given past experiences. But my question is, Is that what is best for kids? And the answers to that question are going to be very different now as we're all pivoting in the season of quarantining and social distancing. And my speculation is that nothing is going to ever look like it used to, even in a post-pandemic world. Teachers and parents 
need to be prepared for a different dynamic when it comes to school once the dust kind of settles from this whole quarantine situation. So in the case of communication, I think it's going to be a beautiful opportunity to shift that defensive dynamic that I was describing before and grow into a new way of communicating and collaborating. And when I imagine what the fall is going to look like, I think about maybe rolling quarantines or creative scheduling to allow for smaller class sizes and social distancing, and maybe even a continuation of virtual learning. And all of those things, they require a different model of communication than the one that we've used in the past. The one thing that remains the same here is this. We all, schools, teachers, and parents, we all agree that our kids need a supportive community of adults who are focused on what is best for them. And that's what I want for students everywhere, particularly middle school students everywhere. A place where the adults in their lives are focused and committed and united and relentless in their goal to love and serve their teens well. Now, my knee jerk here is to tell a story about the good old days and how when I was a kid, what happened at school was reinforced at home always, no matter what. But I think that's part of the problem. We have to walk in the here and the now if we're going to address this. And the here and the now can be really hard. Finding ways to move past the distrust that we have and find common ground takes not only a new framework and a new system, but it also takes addressing past experiences. Now, remember when I confessed earlier that as a teacher, I dreaded talking to parents? There was a reason for that. And I'm going to share that reason with you to show exactly how past experiences can influence us. Okay, so I'm taking you guys back to my second year of teaching. Now, in the second year of teaching, I had a student whose mother worked in the school office. And this kid, man, he was tough. In class, he was belligerent and disrespectful, and he disrupted things pretty much every day. And I tried everything I knew, which wasn't a whole lot at the time, to deal with it on my own for a really long time. I was embarrassed that I could not manage my classroom with this one particular kid, and I didn't want anyone to know that I couldn't do that. Unfortunately, the situation took a turn for the worse when this kid's mom became seriously ill. So I knew that she was not well. I knew that there was stuff going on at home. And so I continued to try to deal with a problem in my classroom with her son on my own. I didn't want to make any more waves than they already had in their pond because they were, again, dealing with a lot. But it finally got to the point where it was seriously affecting other students. I wasn't providing them with a safe space to learn. So I finally talked to the school counselor and the other teachers on our team, and they confirmed what I already knew. I needed to call home. And I did. And it wasn't pretty. I talked to the student's father, and he proceeded to blast me. Like, I seriously, before or since, have not had a conversation with anyone like that where it was just a blatant attack after attack after attack. So I got off the phone and cried, first of all, but I also got off without any kind of resolution. And again, I felt super personally attacked. 
And that situation, it was never really resolved. I just tried to write it out as graciously as I could for the rest of the year, which was not a lot of fun. Looking back, there are so many things I wish I had done differently. So many places I could have made a much better choice. And that dad, he could have made better choices too. But in the moment, I could only see how earnestly I was trying to do the right thing. And he was being unbelievably cruel and antagonistic and attacking. Now, as a parent myself now, I can imagine that in his eyes, I was being insensitive and ridiculous and taking away from the real crisis his family was dealing with and adding to their burden, especially since he hadn't heard anything else from me the whole rest of the school year. So hindsight, of course, is 2020, and the unfortunate result of that incident is that for a long time, it profoundly influenced how I felt about contacting parents. I dreaded it because my feelings around it were a tangled ball of shame and fear and self-doubt. It wasn't until I had an incredibly positive experience a couple of years later that my mindset shifted. That positive experience happened when two moms who happened to be best friends kindly and persistently pursued all the teachers on my team in order to volunteer and provide support wherever we needed it. I think at first we were all super uncomfortable with it because our knee-jerk defensiveness was, what is their ulterior motive and why are they doing this? But they consistently showed up and supported us, not only in the practical tasks like making copies, organizing our conference room, um, coordinating chaperones for field trips. They also supported us with encouragement and really positive feedback. Over time, it opened my eyes to how powerful it is to have strong relationships with students' parents. It gave me the boost I needed to be more proactive in reaching out to parents. And I learned that we all wanted the same thing, the very best that we could give these kids that we shared. Now, armed with that knowledge, I began to contact parents in a positive context as soon as possible during the school year with something specific about each team to their parents. Doing that meant that they were much more likely to be receptive to communicating if there were ever any challenges later on. And I also realized something else. If I stood back and looked at the whole of my interchanges with parents throughout my teaching career, the majority were not negative. Most were at the very least neutral, if not positive. Now, what I'm about to share may seem like a tangent, but stick with me. There's a lot of relevance here. Now, when my daughter was around 12, we were in Target one day and she made a very disparaging comment about herself. And we were waiting in line to check out. And I remember telling her, ah, uh, no way. That is not going to fly here. I don't let anyone talk to my kids that way, not even you. And I told her that she needed to give me 10 things that she really liked about herself. Now, she pushed back, but eventually she listed out the 10 things. She started out grudgingly, but by the time she hit 10, she was giggling and more than a little surprised, I think, at how her mindset had shifted. So why am I sharing that? The whole reason I had her list out those positives about herself is because I know it takes seven positive experiences or thoughts to counteract one bad one. That, and I had seen one of Maria Shriver's daughters talking about her mom and how she had made her do the same thing. 
But this that seven to one ratio, it is real. And you can check out the article that I linked to my show notes to see the research behind it. You can find that at theishgirl.com forward slash EP78. But what does this mean for you? First, if dread and defensiveness are part of the dynamic in your school home relationships, take an inventory of why that is. Literally list out any negative experiences you've had or negative stories you've heard from others or negative messaging that you've gotten. Then once you've completed that list, flip it and list out all the neutral and positive experiences, stories and messaging you've had. Now, I've created a template that you can use to walk through this process. Um, You can grab the free resource again in my show notes at theishgirl.com forward slash EP78. But the next step in the process is to look at those lists that you've made and decide what was under your umbrella, which means what was under your responsibility? What were your thoughts, your actions, your uh, mental process, the things that were under your control? And where of those things could you have done something differently? And where did you do things well? Once you've compiled that evaluation for both lists, for the the negative experiences and things and the positive experiences and things, I want you to take a look at that, read through it, and decide what you want to carry forward and how you communicate and what you want to leave behind. You can circle or highlight in two different colors or make a list with two different columns. Or again, you can use that free template I made, just however you want to do it. But really analyze and look at what do I want to do as I continue forward in communicating. Now, to give you an example of how this might work, let's use my own story of that student from my second year of teaching. For that experience, for what was under my umbrella, I would say that that would be I didn't contact the parents sooner. I didn't ask for help from the beginning. And I really let my ego get in the way and convince me that I could handle the situation all on my own. What I did well in that situation was when I had the conversation with the dad, I did stay calm and respectful during my conversation with him. So if I was just looking at that one little piece, that one incident, I would say that what I would want to carry forward is addressing an issue immediately and asking for help quickly. And what I'd leave behind would be trying to do it all by myself and procrastinating. So doing this exercise is truly not for the faint of heart because it means stepping into responsibility and out of a place that might feel easier and more familiar, that place where maybe you're playing the role of a martyr. Believe me, in that situation with the student and his dad, I played the martyr for a long time before I owned my part in it. That dad was really mean to me, and the kid was super disrespectful in class, and I was doing my best. All of that's true, but it wasn't helpful for me me to park there and stay there. I had to move forward, and to do that, I had to take some responsibility. And it takes a lot of humility to own your part in things. But isn't that exactly what we want to model for our teens is taking responsibility for their own stuff? And what better place to start owning your stuff than in those school and home relationships? Okay, the last thing I want to talk about with this is that when adults unite around supporting their teens, amazing things happen. 
The gap that exists when there's a disconnect between school and home is closed and a safety net is created that helps keep kids from falling through the cracks. Resources open up for all the parties involved, whether it's teachers being gifted with volunteers or donations or encouragement, or whether it's parents being given more information and counseling resources and great feedback about their kids, everyone benefits. Another amazing thing that happens is the prevention of teens playing the two ends against the middle, which is something that is very developmentally appropriate, by the way, for teens to do. And one of the things that I used to say at my Meet the Teacher nights was, if you believe half of what you hear about me at home, then I'll believe half of what I hear about you in the classroom. It was always good for a laugh, but it was definitely tongue in cheek and it got the point across. While we wanna validate and support our kids, they are not fully developed or equipped to understand all the nuances of a situation. And we need to keep that in mind. And, and that doesn't mean discounting what they're telling you. It just means asking really good questions to get all the information. So for instance, when my kids would beg me not to contact a teacher, which actually really started in middle school, I would say, um, and they'd, they'd ask me to not do it because they were really worried that they'd deal with repercussions from the teacher. I'd listen to that and I'd listen to their concerns. But I also, again, asked a lot of questions and several times I went ahead and discreetly talked to the teacher anyway. And many times their perception was completely off and there was so much more at play in the situation. But it can be hard to know when to step in and when to let your kids advocate for themselves. So um, the story that I'll share with you here, there are two of them. And in my very small high school that I went to, and this was actually my senior year, so I was a little bit older, I had a math class and I was struggling, which was unusual because I was that smart kid who just did everything that I could to make my A's, right? So this particular teacher, I know looking back that I was super belligerent and demanding and I would stop her in the middle of her instruction and say, wait a second, none of us, you know, understand that, whatever. Anyway, I was, it was not a good way for me to communicate with her. It was not respectful. Well, her child happened to be in my mom's preschool class. My mom was a preschool teacher and this woman's, um, I can't remember if it was her daughter or her son, was in my mom's preschool class. And so she never addressed me in class or called me out or talked to me after class or or any kind of communication with me personally, she went straight to my mom and that infuriated me. And I think even my mom agreed like, okay, yeah, she should have talked to you first, but hello kiddo, you need to straighten up and you know be respectful in class. So all that to say, I think that was definitely a situation where it would have been better if it happened between the teacher and I. Now, the other situation that I will share, and this is not one that I shared with my parents, but it's definitely one that looking back on it now as a parent myself, I, I'm just shocked that it wasn't brought to light. And that, and the very fact that I didn't look at it and my classmates didn't look at it as some red flag behavior just goes to show that, again, we're not fully developed in our prefrontal cortex when we're teenagers. And the situation was this, I had a teacher who would talk 
very openly about his sex life with his wife to our class in very inappropriate ways. And I think even now, my parents, when we've talked to them about it, they would have definitely gone in and done something about that. They would have stepped into that situation. So so again, those are some really clear cut examples. And I know a lot of times it's more gray than that. But I did want to share those two things because you do have to take into account the dynamics and what the, the thing is. Because as it's a balancing act between advocating for our kids, but also helping them become their own advocates. So what I would say in all of this is that you've really got to trust your gut and know your kid and really work on that communication uh, between school and home. Okay, next week, I'm going to continue this conversation and I'm going to talk about some strategies that you can use to communicate between school and home with clarity and in a way that produces the results that you want. And I cannot wait to share those with you. In the meantime, be sure to grab that inventory resource from my show notes and examine your thoughts around communication and maybe discover some of the experiences from the past that are influencing how you view it. Now, as always, I would love for you to join the conversation by joining my In the Middle of It Facebook group, and you can find a link to that again in my show notes. And from this ish girl who is still super impressed with how teachers are communicating during this unprecedented quarantine, I am so grateful to be in the middle of it together.